Welcome to this episode of Planting Seeds. I'm Keith Jones, the preaching minister of Calera Church of Christ, and I've prepared a short message from Scripture that's intended to be the planting of a seed that, if cultivated, will in time produce fruit in the lives of the listeners. Now, let's get started. Shine upon you and be gracious and give you peace. In this episode, we'll continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17, and follow along while I read. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying these words right after he finishes the section of scripture we call the Beatitudes. In those Beatitudes, he lists uh, groups of people that are blessed or favored by God. And here he feels the need to let the crowd know that he's not saying that he is replacing the law that had been given by God with a new law. In fact, what he was telling them would bring a fullness to the law that would cause the law to accomplish what it was always intended to. Jesus said he came himself to fulfill the law, not just by keeping the commandments, but also by letting them achieve their purpose. See, keeping the letter of the law was never the point. The goal of the Word of God is transformation. When God had given Moses all of the commandments in the Old Testament, he intended that to be a guidepost, an aid, a tool that would help his people understand the kind of people he was looking for, that they would become those people and in so doing be a light to the rest of the world. During Jesus's time, there was a group of people called the Pharisees that had tried to impose a a burden on God's people by making them keep the letter of the law. And whether their heart was in it or not, whether the understanding of what the letter of the law meant was accurate or not, that they imposed their will on the people saying that it was what God wanted. Many people in our time refer to these Pharisees as legalists, and they say that was where they messed up, that uh, they were so busy trying to keep the letter of the law that they lost the original intent of the law and were actually imposing more on the people than what God wanted. There may be some truth to that, but we need to understand something about legalism. Uh, Legalism is not just reading a law or a commandment and saying, yes, I have to do that completely or I'm wrong. There's more to legalism than that. Even if I decide that I don't have to keep that law or commandment, or there are some exceptions or loopholes in there, and I can take advantage of those, I'm still being a legalist. 
if I reduce a command or a law to just what is written on the paper and ask the question, do I have to do that or not? I'm being legalistic. Examples in our time may be uh, when Christians ask, is it okay to drink alcohol? It really doesn't matter whether you answer that question yes or no, you're being legalistic. If we ask ourselves, is it ever okay to tell a lie? Are there times when it's okay? It doesn't matter whether we answer the question yes or no, we're being legalistic. What Jesus is calling people to is to move beyond the legalism of asking yes or no questions about whether or not I have to do things and letting God's law transform you into the person that he intends you to be, into a person that doesn't even need laws to start with. He's going to follow this up with a discussion about what that looks like. He's going to take a series of laws from the Old Testament and show his listeners what it means to move beyond legalism into transformation. In letting the law do its full work in his life, Jesus became worthy to lead us into this new way of living, and he rescued us from destroying ourselves. In this way, he ends up fulfilling what the prophets said as well. As he brings a fullness to the law and helps us to see what it means to be the people that God created us to be, in leading us through that experience, he becomes our servant, our redeemer, and our king. So let's look at some of the examples that Jesus used of what he was talking about. Let's pick up the text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. It says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. It's easy to look at what Jesus says here and say that Jesus is taking what Moses said and adding extra layers to it. But I don't think that's what's happening at all. I think what Jesus is doing is explaining what the intent of the law was to start with and how that got lost in legalism with people saying, when is it okay to kill someone? When is it okay to strike someone? When is it okay to sue someone? We get into those discussions about when I can or cannot do something. And in that legalism, we lose the point of the law. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, God had given Moses the commandment, you shall not murder. But God was not looking for angry, unforgiving people who somehow managed not to kill other people. He was looking for folks that could not imagine taking the life of another human. It, that wouldn't even register in their mindset that that was an option of how to deal with their problem. 
And the person that can't imagine taking the life of another person is someone who is self-controlled. They don't fly off the handle. They don't react in their anger or their uh, overwhelming emotion. They are self-controlled. And scripture is full of commands from God to be self-controlled. The person that can't imagine taking the life of another person is also someone who never dehumanizes another person. These are people who never call others names or put them down or lose sight of their humanity. They always see others as a human being who may have their own difficulties, who may have their own issues or even their own points of view, but they always treat other people like people, no matter what the circumstance or no matter what they've done. Those who can't imagine taking the life of another are also going to be people who are willing to initiate reconciliation. Rather than trying to set things right myself or try to fix it or make people do what I think they should do, these folks are looking for ways to reconcile. What does Jesus say? If you come to the altar and remember that someone has something against you, you go to them and make things right before you give a gift to God. Notice Jesus doesn't say, if you know you haven't done anything wrong, you just live your life if that's their problem. He says, if someone has a problem with you, see if there's something you can do to fix it. This is what people do when life is important, when they don't want to destroy it, when we're truly pro-life. We want that life to live in peace. We want it to be seen for its full value, and we want to control ourselves when dealing with life so that everyone experiences the best life that they possibly can. It's as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There is not strife and contention and anger and animosity among those who understand the purpose of of the commandment, you shall not murder. Because human life is important, it is valued, and should be protected at all cost. When we understand this and we live it out, Paul lets us know that that's the kind of life that makes unity in the church possible. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul writes, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. If you want God to be with you, a a part of your life, live close to him and live out these characteristics. These are the characteristics of people who value life and would never take the life of another. Let's look at one more example in this episode, and we'll save the other examples in chapter 5 for the next episode. Let's pick up the discussion here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever 
divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, God had given Moses the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. When God gave that commandment, he wasn't looking for those who constantly look to see if there's a better way to gratify themselves, but manage to control their physical urges until they're divorced. That's not what God was saying. He wasn't saying, okay, this is the line where you can finally move on and have a physical relationship with someone else. This is what you have to do until that point to stay pure. That's not what God was working toward. God was looking for a person that could not imagine cheating on their spouse, that that relationship would be so sacred that nothing would damage or contaminate it. A person that would never imagine cheating on their spouse realizes that the act of adultery begins long before the physical act. It happens in your mind when you're looking for something better or imagining that being with someone else is better than being with your spouse. Getting fixated in that line of thinking leads people to the temptation of cheating on their spouse. These people that can't imagine cheating on their spouse also don't objectify others. The other people that I see in the world, no matter how attractive they are or appealing they might be, I'm not looking at them as objects that may satisfy or gratify me. They're other people, and they're not my spouse, and I can't imagine cheating on my spouse. These people are also self-controlled. They don't give in to temptation. They don't give in to the frustration that often comes in marriages when you hit a rocky patch because there's a disagreement or there hasn't been enough attention paid to the relationship. These are people that don't even consider divorce as an option. It's not that at some point divorce is not inevitable. In some cases, it certainly is. But it's not one of the options that we go into the relationship assuming is there for us to deal with our problems. We get caught up very often on when is it okay to get a divorce and when is it okay to remarry and what are the right circumstances that I can move on. It really doesn't matter how we answer that question. We're being legalistic if we're asking it. What God is looking for from his children is to be absolutely committed to our spouse, to go into marriage knowing that this is a lifelong commitment not only to our spouse but also to God, and that we will go to extreme lengths to make sure that we keep that commitment. What did Jesus say? If your eyes are causing you to sin, cut them out. Notice it didn't say if you see something and you have sinful thoughts, you should make that person put on more clothes or you should make that person dress differently or wear their hair differently so that you're not tempted anymore. It says you have a responsibility to control yourself. And if you can't control yourself, you'd be better off to pull your own eyes out or to cut your own hands off. Our problem in our society is not so much our view of divorce. 
It's our view of marriage. God never wants us to get divorced, but sometimes we do. How do you avoid getting divorced? You make better decisions about marriage from the beginning. And you do the work while you're married to make sure that God is pleased with the way that you interact with your wife and that as one flesh, you honor him with your life. Thank you for listening. You can find more of these messages on our website, calirachurchofchrist.org, or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Twitter.